The In Search of America podcast, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. Music by Keith Medley at keithmedleymusic.com. Episode 24, Marfa, Texas, and beyond. For years I have heard about Marfa, Texas, and how amazing it is here. And of course, ever since hearing that, it was on my list of places to explore and photograph. So when I was planning the western leg of the In Search of America project, Marfa seemed to be an ideal location for me to document. After driving several hours from El Paso, Texas, I arrived in Marfa, Texas yesterday afternoon about 3 p.m. My initial response when driving into the town was, Okay, where is everything? What's going on here? But I thought, okay, I'll give it a little bit of time. I checked into the Airbnb room that I had booked for a couple of days, brought in my suitcase, and immediately went back out looking for a bite to eat. And that was my first clue to the sparsity of Marfa, Texas. The only place that I could find to get something to eat was a Dairy Queen. So I stopped there and had a quick burger. And I decided that since it was so late in the day, I would head north to the observatory because I had heard so much about that and see what was going on up there and see if that was something worth exploring and photographing. What? An amazing discovery that was. The McDonald Observatory is unbelievable to say the least. The drive took me north through Fort Davis, Texas, and then on upward about another, oh, I don't know, 14, 15 miles or so along this beautiful winding two-lane road that started gaining an elevation as it climbed to the top of the second highest peak in Texas. And when I arrived near the top, I saw the visitor center for the observatory, but I decided to go on past that and go on to the very top, to the observatory itself. As I was driving onward past the visitor center, I noticed that off to my right on the very top of the hill were two observatory domes in bright white, but I also noticed off to my left another dome, and it was sort of a geodesic type dome, and it almost looked, in fact I thought, it was a Doppler radar system. So as I got to the T in the road, I decided to go to the right, to the two white domes that I had seen. Once I arrived at the top, there was a small parking lot marked for visitors, and just beyond that was a sign stating authorized personnel only, and I, and I realized that that was for parking or vehicles only, that we were able to actually go up and walk around there, but we were not, or I was not allowed to go into any of the buildings. I must admit that I stood before these tall, bright, white, domed buildings with a sense of awe knowing that inside were these massive telescopes. One of them, I think it was 101 or 111 inches. I mean, that's massive. And there was also a part of envy on my part, a, a wonderful envy at the people inside these buildings and being able to do what they do. So I wandered around for about 15 or 20 minutes and I photographed from different angles because the light was absolutely spectacular. 
And as I walked around these structures, I noticed a small glass enclosed kind of billboard or, or corkboard that had different postings about different things going on there. And one of the postings was promoting the thing that they call star parties. And I knew about these star parties from Carl and Suzanne that I met back in Tucumcari. They had told me all about it and strongly suggested that I look into it if I get to the observatory. So with that, I got back in the expedition, made my way back down to the visitor center to inquire. To my delight, there were five seats left for the star party. And since I'm by myself, I only needed one. So I booked it immediately. Also, while I was at the visitor center, I inquired about the other building. Remember the one with the geodesic looking dome? And I found out that it is the second largest telescope in the world. So I had to go explore. As soon as I arrived to the parking area and got out of the expedition, I immediately began to photograph because, again, the light was absolutely spectacular. It was perfect photographic lighting. So I made my way around the building from one side to the other, trying to work with the shadows and everything else and just to get all the details of this phenomenal-looking structure. When I finished photographing, I got back in the expedition and I was about to leave. And as, In fact, I actually pulled out of my parking space and I started around the, the little loop driveway. And as I did, I noticed a sign on the door that said something about this door must remain open during working hours or something like that. And I thought, hmm, maybe I can go in. So I came back to my parking space, pulled back in, got out, walked up to the door, but I left my cameras in the car. I walked up to the door, I pulled on the handle, and sure enough, the door opened. And since the door opened, I walked in. I walked in and there was this little room. Well, it wasn't really a little room. It was probably about 20 by 20, 30 by 30, something like that. And it had displays all over the place. And it had a few video screens that kept looping the same video. So I started watching those kind of half-heartedly and looking at the displays. But then as I walked to the back wall of this room, I realized, I mean, this was a knee-weakening moment here. I realized that through this plexiglass, this tinted plexiglass that kind of came up as a wall and then curved over by about three feet overhead, that I was looking through at the actual telescope. I was looking at this telescope. It was awe-inspiring. Truly, my knees truly got weak. I just stood there, my jaw dropped open, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And as I was looking at the telescope, which really took quite some time, three other gentlemen came in, and one of them happened to be one of the astronomers. In fact, I think he was an astrophysicist that worked there. And he was explaining to the other two gentlemen how the telescope works and what it does and all of that. So I started hearing bits and pieces. And then as they kind of moved out of the area a little bit, I began looking at the displays, and they were really phenomenal. One was talking about how the telescope, when it's moved, I forget how many tons it weighs. I, I remember it came in at, I think, 57,000 kilos, so however many tons that is. But anyhow, I think it was 61 tons. But anyhow, as, as this thing moves, there's friction, and it can't 
have friction because it vibrates. And if it vibrates, it's going to bung up the mirrors. So they had to devise something to eliminate the friction. And the weight was too severe for ball bearings. So what they did instead is they put it on something called air bearings. I never even heard of such a thing. But they had a display there that you could move this heavy sort of disc back and forth and you could feel the resistance. And then when you pushed a button and it turned on the air to create an air bearing, this thing, I could move it with a finger barely touching it. And I thought, this is ingenious. But now that I think of it, using the term ingenious is really, really an understatement compared to what lied beyond that exhibit, which was the telescope. This telescope is made up of, of mirrors, and I forget how many were in the, in the array, I think 91 or something. But anyhow, all of these mirrors are used to gather light. And without getting into all the specifics, because this to me is mind-boggling enough, here's where it gets really, really off the charts for me, is that what they are looking at through this telescope this telescope, in other words, lets them go so deep into space that what they are seeing happened 14 billion, not million, billion with a B, years ago. They are sitting there looking at something that happened 14 billion years ago. And how amazing is that? I still can't comprehend that. I do comprehend that, but then when I realize I comprehend it, I realize simultaneously that that's horse manure. That's right off the barn floor because there's no way to comprehend that. In fact, last night, while I was waiting for the star party to begin, I was sitting in the courtyard outside the visitor center, and from my vantage point where I was seated, I was staring straight up at this observatory. And as I stared at it, and I could see facing me was the door on the dome that opens, you know, when, when they're going to, to view the sky. And I, all of a sudden, I realized again, but even more profoundly, that in within an hour, maybe two hours, give or take, there would be people sitting inside of that building with that door wide open, and they would be looking into the universe that occurred 14 billion years ago and seeing firsthand for themselves what happened in our universe 14 billion years ago. How cool is that? The star party was great as well. It began about 8.45 p.m., and at this point, the sky was just almost to the point of complete darkness. So they led everyone along a, a guided walkway outside that was lit by these, these dim red lights that were down close to the ground. And you walked through this, this area, that like a labyrinth almost, that led you out into a huge area. And as you walk along... There were people setting up telescopes, people from the observatory setting up these rather large telescopes. And there were also other small domed buildings, each with a telescope inside. And we were instructed not to stop at the telescopes now, but to continue on the pathway. And as I did, you know, I came up around with everyone else 
And when we reached the top of this mound, again, lit dimly by these red lights, but you could see in the silhouette of these dim red lights, this area of curved seats. And it was almost like a pagan ritual site. It was really quite cool. So everybody just came into there, found a place to sit, sat down. And then after about five or 10 minutes of, of being seated, a gentleman started to speak and he started to talk about some of the things that we would experience during the night. And one of those things was that after the talk, we can make our way back down the pathway and stop at each of the telescopes because each of the telescopes was positioned on a star, a star cluster, or a planet for us to see. And each of these were in different time dimensions, I guess you would say, of space. Some were like Saturn. He said, I think it, it takes four and a half hours for the light from Saturn to get to us. But then there was another one. It was a star cluster and it took I think five or 6,000 years for that light to reach us. So it was really kind of cool. And then as he went on, he had this laser, a green laser light, a thin beam, and he would point it in the sky and point out constellations and talk about, you know, what the constellations were. And he also talked about the, um, what do they call it? Astroarchaeology, I think it is, where archaeologists who are adept at astronomy yeah, can, you know, look back in time, say to the pyramids or to when the Mayan built temples, and they can readjust the alignment of the stars to that period of time. Because over thousands of years, the earth shifts on its axis. And one of the things he was talking about is now Polaris is our North Star, and it has been for our, my entire lifetime and will be for my entire lifetime. But I think it was 5,000 years ago, give or take, he said that that actually there was another star, and you know I forget the name of it now, but much further away in the sky, but that used to be in the position where Polaris is right now. But since then, the Earth has shifted, and it's no longer the northern star to guide by or to navigate by. It was quite late last night by the time I got to bed, so I decided to sleep in a little bit this morning and didn't wake until about 8 a.m., after I had been up for about 35 minutes, I started feeling the pangs of hunger. So I showered, got dressed, and headed out for breakfast. Once again, I was reminded of the scarcity within Marfa, Texas. Being a well-seasoned person of the 21st century, I googled a place to eat. Three choices came up. One I knew from yesterday no longer existed. So that left me with two. The one I chose had several great reviews, talking about how wonderful the coffee was and how great the experience was. So I thought, that's the place I want to go. Great cup of coffee first thing in the morning. I plugged it into the GPS. I followed the directions. And as I headed down this final side street in Marfa, Texas, the GPS said, you have arrived. Yet there was no business in sight. Not just there was no coffee shop or restaurant in sight, there was no business in sight. Being the resourceful person that I am, I plugged the address into a secondary GPS device, and I hit go. It took me down about a block, turned me around, brought me back up about a block, and said, you have arrived. And still I could see nothing. 
So I moved back and forth along this block of side street, back and forth, trying to see something, and I couldn't. Finally, on the corner, I saw a red A-frame sign that listed the name of the restaurant with an arrow pointing back behind me. The problem was that the sign was painted in reverse. I think this is a Marfa thing that I'll get into a little bit later, but it took me about five minutes, literally five minutes, give or take, to read the sign because it was written backwards. So I followed the arrow and I went back down the street and I saw one place that it could possibly be and it was an area that was several buildings made out of corrugated steel sheeting, at least that's what it looked like, and it was set up like a compound. In fact, there was a wire fence and gate across the front, but that happened to be open. So I thought, okay, this must be it. So I walked through the gate and I looked around the courtyard inside at each building, and sure enough, the building on my left was the restaurant. I was excited. I was ecstatic. I could finally have a cup of coffee and get a little breakfast. I walk up to the door. The sign says closed. Thinking, wait, it said on the app that it was open. So I explored further, only to find another sign that listed that on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, they're closed. They're closed. Again, this is a Marfa thing I've come to find out. So needless to say, there was no place in Marfa to get breakfast. I must admit some frustration, especially since I was hungry, but in the end, this turned out to be one of the greatest blessings of this trip. The only option left to me, if I wanted breakfast, was to drive to Alpine, which was oh, about 27 miles away. I must admit to my reluctance. I mean, after all, another 27 miles just to hopefully get a bite to eat. And there was no assurance that a restaurant there would not also be closed on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. But hunger and determination prevailed, and off I drove to Alpine, Texas. Now, the first thing that I encountered en route was not that far out of Marfa itself. I saw a roadside marker that said in one mile there was a viewing station for the Marfa Lights. For those of you not familiar with the Marfa Lights, I'll try to explain it as best I can with the limited knowledge that I have. But evidently for years, and I don't know how many years exactly, these lights have been seen in Marfa. Now keep in mind, Marfa is an extremely dark place at night. There's very little light pollution. And there are these balls or these spheres of light, and I'm not sure how big they are, but they sound like they can get pretty big. But anyhow, they are spotted in Marfa, but I think predominantly out in the Chihuahuan Desert. Now, I've talked with people who have seen them, and they swear by them. There are photographs of them, but to the best of my knowledge, they have not been explained completely yet. So they're still a mystery, but evidently this viewing station, which by the way, I stopped at, and it's really, really a nice place. In fact, architecturally, it would make a great house. But anyhow, now that I know where it is, I know where I can drive tonight, since I'm staying over one more night, where I can drive tonight and hopefully see the Marfa lights. As I drove into the town of Alpine, 
I was really shocked, shocked in the very good way. Immediately, I could sense that this town had a really great feel to it. And from the people that I saw walking around, it seemed to have a very eclectic population. I parallel parked the expedition against the sidewalk directly across the street from the restaurant that I had Googled just before I left Marfa. Fortunately, this restaurant was open. The name of the restaurant is Judy's Bread and Breakfast. And it was truly a delightful place to spend my morning. As I walked through the front door, several tables were already occupied and there was conversation everywhere. And from the little bit I could overhear, it seemed that most, if not all, the people in there, aside from me, of course, were locals. Now, it has been my experience in all of my traveling within the United States that when I walk into a restaurant, especially when I have camera equipment slung over my shoulders, that people tend to stop and look, sometimes even stare, realizing that, obviously, I'm an outsider. But when I walked into Judy's, no one seemed to notice. They may have glanced to see who was coming through the door, but nobody stopped conversation. No one stared. No one thought of me any differently. It didn't matter to them if I was local or an outsider. I was just somebody coming to eat at Judy's. In no time at all, Anna, my waitress, came to the table, brought a menu, took my order for my cup of coffee. Finally, I was getting my cup of coffee. Above the din, or rather mixed in with the din, I could hear the music playing. It was country music, and as I first noticed, it was Tammy Wynette singing Stand By Your Man. I looked over the menu, decided what I want. Anna returned to the table, I placed my order, and then just spent the next several minutes taking it all in. The sense of community in this place was so very obvious. Everyone just talking, and the topics were all over the place. Some were politics, and some were just day-to-day chit-chat. At one point, a man walked through the front door carrying a laptop in his right hand with the lid opened. And as he walked in the door and he closed it behind him, he walked over to a table, and the three ladies there just in almost giggly voices said, Oh, good morning, Jim. And Jim decided to spend a little time. He set his laptop on the table. And then he broke out his iPhone and he was showing photographs of what I think were wildlife photographs that he had taken. And he talked to them for probably the next 10, 15 minutes. It was just wonderful how the conversations from one table to another took place. At one point, this older gentleman that would make his way through the restaurant periodically pushing a cart and bussing the tables of their dishes was out clearing a table as he was pushing his cart back to the back room, a woman got up from a table and she asked if he would make a photograph of her and the young woman she was with with their phone. Without hesitation, without the bat of an eye, the roll of an eye, he happily agreed to do it. So he took the phone and he made the photograph and the woman insisted on moving up to the front window to get better light and then changed her mind and came back It was driving me nuts, and I was just sitting there having breakfast, but he never batted an eye. So he made the photograph. He handed the phone back to her. She looked at it, and then she said, well, would you make one more? And again, without hesitation, he happily took the phone. He made another photograph of her, handed the phone back. She looked at it. Evidently, she was pleased, and 
he returned to his cart and moved on. On one of her trips back to my table to check on the refill for my coffee, I struck up a conversation with Anna. She told me that she had been born and raised for several years in Odessa, Texas, and then moved to Mexico, where she spent several years there, and then about three years ago moved here to Alpine, Texas. I asked her how she liked it here, and she just beamed and said, I love it. She said, I'm so close to everything, and it's a great community to live in. She went on to tell me that she is majoring in biology. And that, of course, sparked a whole train of thought in my own head about the craziness that I look at with biology and the things that live within us or the things that we see in this. Anyhow, I got into this conversation, too, with her. And it was interesting because she understood what I was talking about. And we talked for at least 30 minutes, and it was an absolutely joyful and delightful conversation. It was one of those conversations that leaves one feeling so much better than they did before the conversation started. And I will tell you that before this conversation started, I was feeling really terrific. After I left the restaurant, I turned left and I headed up Main Street a bit more. I'm not sure that it's really called Main Street, but it's the main street that goes through the town of Alpine. Anyhow, I walked further up along Main Street, and all of a sudden on a corner, I saw the most beautiful mural on the side wall. And there was a little courtyard there, and within the courtyard was a food truck. As one would expect, I made several photographs, and then I noticed that just beyond the courtyard, in fact, the first storefront just beyond the courtyard, was an art gallery. So I walked inside. The name of the gallery is Kiowa Gallery, the art of the Big Bend. And again, I was finding great diversity. Diversity in art and diversity in the artists that were being represented by this gallery. Paintings, photographs, weavings, jewelry, sculpture. There was so much there to see, so much there to experience. And as I walked through the gallery, making my way, looking at every single piece that I could, it was as if I had to peel back the layers. And I spent probably a total of 45 minutes in the gallery because just as I was walking through, I met the manager, Kelly. And once we began talking, there was just no end in sight. Having conversations with Kelly, again, just like it was with Anna, but now different subjects, different themes. It was exhilarating, it was mind-expanding, and it was so doggone informative. I learned so much about the area of Alpine, and I also learned a lot about Marfa and why things are not going on here, and why, how that all started way back in the 1990s. But I also learned so much about where it is that I am traveling to from here. Again, Kelly was a wealth of knowledge on so many different things that for the most part, I just spent my time there listening. And once again, by the time I left, I was far more enriched and feeling so much more alive than I had been when I came into the gallery. The only downside to going into the gallery 
was that I couldn't buy anything. My expedition is so overloaded, especially since I just bought that rock yesterday. So I guess I'll just need to make a return trip to Alpine, Texas. So what I have been able to ascertain about Marfa from those who are unbiased and giving me kind of the whole story is this. That back in, I think it was the 1990s, the famous minimalist artist, Donald Judd, came here to Marfa and he saw the starkness of the landscape. So he decided to move here. So he bought some property and he developed this from what it was described to me as like an artist colony. And then he brought other artists here. And then once a year, he would have a party, a picnic, a celebration. And artists would come from all over the world. And then what happened is, is a lot of artists from New York and Los Angeles and whatnot, when they came here, they also were seeing the starkness, the minimalist of this environment. But they were also seeing that ranchers at that time were struggling financially. So they began buying up property and they were buying it up for pennies on a dollar. It was dirt cheap back then. And they started to buy it up and then they moved here and they started to create and then they would have festivals here. And that's what put Marfa on the map. But really and truly, with the exception of pretty much once a year, there is nothing going on here in Marfa. It's just a dormant town. And yes, it's quiet. And yes, it's dark. And yes, it's relatively safe. But there's nothing going on here. Yet it has that mystique. In fact, that's the mystique that I had heard from so many people that Marfa is this amazing artist community. And it's thriving. And it's just eclectic and eccentric. And I thought, this is a place that I want to spend some time. And Marfa is certainly eccentric, at least from what I've seen, where businesses are closed Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesdays. If you want to go to see a gallery here, you have to make an appointment. You can't just walk in. And also, as I have heard from several people who live in Marfa, business owners may say that they're going to be open on such and such a day from such and such a time, but if they don't feel like opening that day, they don't. So there's no way of knowing What's open? What isn't? When it's open? When it's not? And if you live here, I suppose that becomes okay. Because it's no big deal if you walk over to some place that you think is open on a Tuesday and you go over and they decide not to open that day, it's fine. You go back Wednesday. But for people traveling here, wow, what an inconvenience. Because you can get here and find out, just like I did, that for a good portion of a week, nothing's open. But yet, 27 miles down the road is the town of Alpine. And that town is truly a thriving artist community. It is truly a thriving community, period. It is a live, vibrant, wonderful place to spend time. And from what I gathered from the people that I talked with there, it's a great, vibrant place to live. Yet they struggle because they are constantly overshadowed, so I'm told, by the mythology that surrounds Marfa. Tonight, just before it gets dark, I'll make my way to the observation point to see the Marfa lights. Wish me luck. Tomorrow morning, 
I pack it all up again and I head down to Terlingua where I'll probably just spend a couple of hours tomorrow and then I head over to Big Bend National Park where I plan to spend oh, probably two to four days depending on how things go and then once I leave there I'll go back to Terlingua and spend a day or two because I think there is a lot that I need to explore and to photograph there. The In Search of America podcast, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. Music by Keith Medley at keithmedleymusic.com. <laughs>